Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. Attention roll call. I would like to dedicate this episode to police officer Robert E. Machate of the NYPD's Brooklyn South Task Force Anti-Crime Unit. On Friday, March 3rd, 1989, Robert and his partner, while on patrol, stopped a vehicle that was occupied by two suspicious males. While they were questioning the males, one of the suspects was able to gain control of Officer Machate's service weapon during a violent struggle. Robert was shot and killed. Officer Masate had served two years and six months with the New York City Police Department. He is survived by his wife, who was six months pregnant at the time of this incident. Robert was 25 years old. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I got a very interesting guest with me here tonight. On this episode, I'll be interviewing Bill Pepitone. Bill was born and raised in Gravesend, Brooklyn. After graduating from Severian High School, he joined the NYPD. He served 14 years in the Brooklyn South Task Force. He was active during the Crown Heights riots and was a 9-11 first responder. Later in his career, he became a tactics and physical instructor, uh, physical fitness instructor in the police academy, where he taught thousands of young police crews, including myself. Uh, I, I was there. I was actually I went through the academy at the time he served doing that. Uh, upon Bill's retirement in 2009 from the NYPD, he became involved in politics when he moved to Morrisville, PA. In 2015, he was elected to Morrisville's Borough Council, where he served for two years. In 2019, Bill moved back to Staten Island. Uh, during the summer of civil unrest in 2020, in response to George Floyd's death, uh, Bill decided to run for New York City mayor. Bill ran under the Conservative Party ticket. He ran against Eric Adams and uh, Curtis Sliwa. Eric Adams won that race. According to Wikipedia, Eric Adams won 67% of the vote. Curtis Sliwa came in second with 27% of the vote, and Bill came in fourth with one, a little bit over 1% of the vote. According to a New York Post article, though, less than one-fourth of all eligible New York City voters voted in that election. It is in my opinion that Bill was the best candidate to be New York City mayor as he had the strongest common-sense platform. I'm excited to hear about his life, his career, and his thoughts on the path New York City is currently on, as well as his vision for the future. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast, the great and powerful Bill Pepitone. Bill, I appreciate you taking time, coming on, speaking with us. Um, so if you, if you don't you, mind, sir. no, no, thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Um, so if you don't mind, I, I mean, the, the, the basis of my podcast is basically I interview retired members of service. We get to know them, uh, their life. So if you, if you don't mind just telling us um, how you grew up, where you grew up, you know, I know you're a New York City kid, so. 
Sure. Yeah, I, I grew up in uh, the Gravesend section of Brooklyn. Uh, my father was a NYPD officer, was, came on in 1973, uh, went through the layoffs in 1975. So we found ourselves going down to Florida, where he was a Broward County Sheriff for about a year and a half before New York City started recalling everybody, and he joined the uh, fire department. So we packed up and came back to New York, uh, back to Brooklyn. I went to Severian High School, as you said, uh, Kingsborough Community College down at the beach for a little while, oh, nice. and then the NYPD in 1989. And uh, I had a great career, no regrets, uh, good days, bad days, as we all know, but uh, I wouldn't change it for anything. And how was Brooklyn at the time, like when you, prior to you becoming a cop, like growing up, how was Brooklyn at that time? Like how was Gravesend section? Oh, it was the best place in the world to grow up. I mean, you look around now, the city's changed so much, but growing up in Brooklyn in, in the seventies and eighties, it was all about wiffle ball or football and people sitting on their stoops till 10, 11 o'clock at night. We didn't care about air conditioning. We sat outside all, all night long. Uh, I remember the blackout of 77. Uh, we were out, what, three, four days or so. We stood outside in the morning through night. We stood out on the stoop with our neighbors. We played ball during the day. It was it was just such a different place back then, and I loved every minute growing up in Brooklyn. Yeah, so, so Severian. Severian turned out a ton of athletes, Chris Mullen, a bunch of other big names. Uh, did you play sports when you were there, or were you intramurals, or did you do anything? I did the intramural, the intramurals. I, I did try out for the baseball team. Couldn't hit a curveball, so that ended my baseball career right there. Yeah, in my freshman year. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was playing, you know, Sandlot, little league ball and uh, basketball, but I uh, couldn't crack the high school team. But yeah. uh, I had a good four years at Savannah. It's obviously a great school, great reputation, and as you said, a lot of famous. Athletes, great athletes came out of there. Yeah, no, I mean, I still played, right? You still, you look like you're still in shape, like you're doing good. So I'm sure you work out, you know, you stay, you stay in. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. So, I try uh, all those, all those police academy gym workouts, still doing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to keep no. moving, got to keep going. Awesome. Yeah, that's how I stayed in shape. Honestly, you guys trained us well, so I, I, I appreciate that. You yeah. know, um, cool. what was your main reason for joining the NYPD? Was it, was it because of your father, or was it something else that? Yeah, it was my father. It was something I always wanted to do. I mean, being a kid, looking at my dad in 1973 with his uniform and his hat. I used to wear his hat all the time. And my uncle, my father's brother, was also a detective in street crime and a career criminals unit. So it was something I was brought up with. I always wanted to be a cop. I knew that's no matter which way I went through high school and college, I was going to wind up with the NYPD. And uh, it was a dream come true. It really was. Again, as I said, no regrets. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I, I feel the same way. I feel even though the way my career turned out, I still I still the way I ended, I still love the job. I still had a great, great experience. It was a it was oh, a great time, sure. you know. Um, so did you go straight to Brooklyn South Task Force or did you go somewhere else first? Um, like out of the academy? No. Right out of the academy, they put us back with field training units back then. Uh, I was in field training unit 15, which was uh, Bushwick and Williamsburg. Uh, I think we were there for about nine months. Then we went to our commands. I went to uh, the 6-2 for a little while, about a year. And then I went over to the Brooklyn South Task Force for 14 years. And the greatest time I ever had on the job was in the Brooklyn South Task Force. Just a great command. Uh, you know, I got there young. I only had about two and a half, three years on. And they had a lot of veteran cops at the time. And they taught me so much. So much how to, how to be a street cop, how to act like a street cop. Uh, so much that, you know, kept me safe, kept me alive. And I owe so much to uh, 
to my brothers and sisters at the task force. It was a great time. Yeah, no, no. New York City at that time was a, a volatile time, right? We were coming off the Yusef Hawkins, uh, the Yusef yeah. Hawkins riots, the um, the the riots in. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, it's uh, escaping me. I just said it too right prior to that. Um, Crown Heights, Crown the Heights Crown Heights riots, riots right? Um, sure. How how was police in Brooklyn at that time, and and did it like how was it like that you lived there and now you're policing there? Was it was it like a, a you know how was that for you? It was it was a volatile time, like you said. I mean, we we look at crime right now, and when you compare the statistics of today, which seem astronomical, look at the numbers we had back then in the late '80s, coming into the '90s. New York City set a record for homicides uh, when uh, Dinkins was in office, when Mayor David Dinkins was in office. Uh, the streets were were worse than they are today. They were more violent. There were more guns. Believe it or not, people don't remember how bad it was back then. Uh, so for me, as a Brooklyn boy. To become a police officer in Brooklyn and work those streets and work in other neighborhoods, uh, it, it gave me a sense of pride that I was protecting people I grew up with, neighborhoods I grew up in, places I used to visit. Uh, it gave me a little more motivation, I guess, being that that was my home and the area I knew so well. And, and again, we went through volatile times, but the Crown Heights riots, I remember vividly as a member of the task force. Uh, we were right in the middle of it for several days. And, and it looked like the city was going to come apart. There was no leadership, uh, something that we we're familiar with over the last eight years. Uh, but it was it was some bad times. You know, it's easy to forget and just concentrate on what's going on now. But we've gone through worse than this before. Yeah, no, no. I looked at the crime numbers recently, and I was I was actually shocked that they're not, they're not even. They're, I mean, they're creeping up, but they're still not close to where we were at that time. No, you know. No. Um, so I just think that we were, you know, New York City was such a safe bubble for such a long time, right? Like towards the end of your career, you know, like you go through Dinkins, you go through Giuliani, and then you know into Bloomberg. That's when you really take a step back, right? You come off the streets, um, and that's when you know New York City is pretty much safe at that point. When the, by the time I I entered the police academy in two thousand four, you're already there, and and you know there's still crime, crime's still rising, but you know we're employing broken windows tactics, and New York City as a whole is much safer than the whole time you were on the street. You know, um, absolutely. Uh, what made you wanna? What made you wanna actually teach at the police academy? Like, how'd you get into that? Well, at, at that point, I had about fifteen years on the street. Um, things were starting to change a little bit. Uh, as you said, the city had become much, much safer, and the tactics we used and the leadership that we had in place uh, before Mr. De Blasio. Uh, it just seemed like the right time, you know. As you know, the NYPD, you can go several paths. You can go the promotional path. You can go the investigative route. Uh, I wanted to teach. I just felt that the experience I had from all that time in the Brooklyn South Task Force and working in different neighborhoods and working in different conditions, the Crown Heights riots, uh, September 11th, of course, uh, I wanted to give something back to young cops coming on the job the way my instructors did with me. Uh, so I had the opportunity to go to the academy and the physical training and tactics department and uh, it was one of the best moves I ever made. Great instructors, great people, great supervisors. Uh, being able to take my experiences over the previous 15 years and teach them to recruits and go over them with recruits and instill certain things in our recruits, for me, I was as, as satisfied as I had ever been as a police officer. And I really, really enjoyed my last four or five years at the academy. 
No, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, 15 years on the street's a long time, you know, that that's a super long time, you know, and like that knowledge is invaluable. You know what I mean? It really is like you're on the street as a cop that whole time. And, you know, the tactics at that time, like that was some of the best training I had throughout my career was right in the beginning of my career. You know, I got an opportunity to go to anti-crime pretty early and I went back to the physical training for the plainclothes training. And that was all, it was all physical stuff, but it was a lot of mental too. It was a lot of mind state you guys gave us. It wasn't textbook. It was real mind state. It was real talk. It was real guys that did it like yourself. You know, I, 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 I you actually, you did a couple of my gym blocks for me. So, you know, we were there, we did boxing, <laughs> wrestling, you know, um, and I really took a lot of like, there was a lot of stuff that came out of that tactics that I carried with me throughout my whole career. And, you know, and I think a lot of us did, you know, I really do. And that, you know, that's one thing I worry about now with the lack of having guys like you, like 15 year street guys out there still like, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys in these details now are much younger than that. You know, they had, they're coming on, they're going in details yes. like that five years on six years on, and they really they're not seasoned the way you guys were, you know, like every, and, and even mature enough, I want to say like, you know, um, so, but yeah, I, I had a great time at the Academy, uh, while you taught there. So I, I, I appreciate that. And, and you taught a lot of my friends too. And, uh, they, you know, I don't, I won't get into everybody, but, but, uh, did they tell you I was the slowest running instructor of the entire group? <laughs> no, but I remember we used to love when you came up. We were like, all right. All right of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we did. We ran a lot, man. Uh, you know, my shins were killing me and I was I was in pretty good shape. You know, I worked out every day, even after the academy. I was playing sports still as a young kid, you know. So uh, but, you know, you guys beat us up, you know, and it was good. It was great. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I, I actually said when I was doing the academy uh, at that time, and at that time, you guys were a little rough with us, too. Like there was a lot of. Uh, you know, not not in a bad way, but just just a stern way to like try to, you know, make us, you know, understand, like, you know, understand how to follow orders, sure. humble us, you know, humble, sure. you know, with, with street kids, right. you come on and, and, and humbled us a little bit. But, uh, the you know, like that whole time was it, it was it really was it, it was a great time. I remember telling my friend, I said, I would sign up and do this for 20 years. I'm learning. I'm going to school every day and then I work out every day right. and we're getting paid. Right. For it. I was like, this exactly. is unbelievable. Yeah, it's like it really is. Uh, so uh, yes. it was a great time, uh, even from from an instructor's perspective. It, it was a great time being in there, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, no. So I appreciate that. Uh, so you you come to the point in in retirement. Like, what what made you like? What made you know when it was your time? Like, how'd you know? Like everybody says, you know, you just know. Yeah, I did just know. It just you know, it just felt like the time was right. Twenty years was coming up. Uh, we had just had a baby. And we started looking down the line, you know, where's where we're going to send her to school in a few years. Uh, is the city headed in the right direction? You know, we were still in a good place back then, but, you know, these things tend to run in cycles. Uh, so it was it was the right time to make a move. Uh, so uh, I retired. We moved out to Pennsylvania, had another baby. Uh, so it was the right move. They wound up in, in a good school system in a good area in Pennsylvania. So uh you know, again, I have no regrets. It, it was the right time, and I, I have no regrets about leaving. So, Bill, were you? But uh, I didn't. I didn't ask you this. Were you a union guy while you were in NYPD? Did you do anything with the PBA or anything like that? No, no, I didn't. I was actually going to run for delegate towards uh, my last year, I believe, in the in the task force in Brooklyn South Task Force, because uh, our delegate was moving on to he had gotten transferred. 
And the other delegate that was there came to me and asked me if I'd be interested. He thought I'd be good at it. And I was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. Uh, but another fellow cop from task force who had more time than me and more experience than me, uh, he stepped up and wanted to do it. So I supported him hundred percent, but it is something that that's the one regret. I always, I would have liked to have gotten involved with the PBA and been a delegate. I think I, I would have been good at it. And I would have been able to help people with that through that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do it either myself. I never went through the unions. I didn't get vocal until all the stuff with the mandates came out. And right. that's, I, I regret it as well. So the, the reason I'm asking you that is because you do get involved in politics. So like what, you know, like I, I, well, you moved down to PA, you moved down, was it Bucks County? Is Morrisville in Bucks County? Morrisville, yes. Lower Bucks County. Lower Bucks, L- Lower Bucks County. Yeah. So yes. like you moved down there, like what drives you at that point to get involved in politics? Like how does that <laughs> happen? You know, I because- was actually just I was just sitting home looking at the local newspapers. Um, I was home playing Mr. Mom with the kids. And and I saw that our local police department, the borough police department, uh, was being completely mismanaged. There was investigations. Uh, they were going to merge uh, the police department with the state police, which which would have been a disastrous move for a small town like us. Uh, so I, you know, I said, you know, the mayor election was like six weeks away. And I said, well, you know, why not? If it, the, the main issue is the police department, fixing the police department. I can do that <laughs> with my experience from New York City. Yeah. Uh, so I ran for mayor uh, with just six weeks left until the election. I had to run as a write-in because the Republican and Democrat were already nominated. Yeah. So I ran a six-week write-in campaign, which was, trust me, harder than running for mayor in New York City. We had to go to every every door and really make up a lot of ground in a short period of time. I lost. I finished second, though. I did beat the Republican who was on the ballot. And I carried that momentum into running for council, which I won about two years later. And I served for two years. So so I got my feet wet in politics, uh, learned a little bit about the the good side and the bad side of public service there. And uh, it was a good experience overall. Yeah, no, that's a, that's, you know, that's brave right there. Six weeks in, you see something going on. You're like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give it a shot. And then you, you actually beat the, you go, you go against the Republican coming second. That That's very impressive, man. Cause that's, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, would you, do you have any advice you'd give to anybody? If anybody was going to run, anybody's unhappy with their local politics. Um, they see something going on. There's an upcoming election. Is that, is there anything that you could give like piece of advice to anybody? Yeah, if you want to get involved, if you feel like you can make a change and, and do things better, then by all means, do it. And and do it for the right reasons. Do it for cause, because it's something you believe in. Uh, there's a lot of negativity in politics. Uh, it's going to be from your own party and the other party. Just ignore it. Stay true to your beliefs. Again, do it for the right reasons and stick to those reasons. Uh, don't let anybody deter you. Uh, don't let what people say about you deter you because they will say some pretty nasty things. Uh, be them true or not true uh, just stick to your guns stick to your beliefs stick to your morals and your values and and just do it because we need good people in politics at the local level at the federal level it's i mean we all see what's going on we need good people getting involved and getting elected no yeah you're you're like an outlier like because you are like i always say like we need regular people in politics we don't need career politicians no. so here you are you're a cop you're a regular dude right you're just a regular guy you're not a career politician not a union guy not involved you see a problem you step up um so i i applaud that man because i i i really do i feel like like that's the problem in new york city like my generation we're politically lazy not even with just 
not, you know, most people aren't going to go out and run, but just even knowing what's going on, like, you know what I mean? Paying attention, getting out and voting, you know, and I, you know, that, you know, when, you know, and that's what I always say, everybody likes to complain. I'm like, do you vote? Do you vote? Like you got, you got to vote. Like, you know, you got to know what's going on, you know? Of course Um, you got to be informed and you got to vote. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, we're going to head up. So you come back to New York, you move back to New York. Um, and could you just tell us about that time? Like what's going on when you move back? Um, as far as like in the city, like what's going on at that time, you know? Yeah. You know, I moved back from Pennsylvania following a divorce, uh, came back home to be closer to family. And, uh, again, I'm sitting in my living room and I'm watching the riots, what's going on in the city, uh, cops being attacked and I'm starting to get flashbacks to crown Heights and, and Washington Heights and all those riots. And I'm, and I'm watching this. Uh, just the officers getting hit with bottles and rocks and and it's how is this happening again why are why are they not being allowed to even just defend themselves and it really really bothered me it really bothered me as i sat there and i felt helpless i'm sure it's something we always feel as as retired cops when we watch something like that we just feel helpless like we want to just get up and go back out there and stand on the line next to everybody uh and that's how i felt but i you know i knew i couldn't uh go back out there. So I had to come up with something. I had to do something. It really, really bothered me. And again, I thought with my experience with the NYPD, now with my political experience, with a mayoral election not too far away, why not me? Why can't I be the mayor of New York City? I'm. Can I do a worse job than Bill de Blasio? Absolutely I mean, not. I would not I, stay nobody for no, well, of course not. Well, actually, Eric Adams is... Uh, not yet. Talent. We don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves yet. Yeah, but yeah. Again, yeah, why why not me? With my experience, why couldn't I do it? I care for, as much for the city as anybody. I'm certainly not going to let our cops stand there and get and get beaten and get bottles and rocks thrown. I'm not going to stand for that. I'm not going to let these people harass innocent people and, and attack stores and loot. I'm not going to allow that. And we can't allow that, but we did. And... That's what was going on right in front of me on my television. I said, enough. I'm going to get involved. I made a couple of calls to people who said, what are you, crazy? <laughs> are you out of your mind? Um, but I did um, meet with uh, someone who turned out to be a uh, family friend uh, who I didn't even know. Uh, her name is Nancy Roden, the executive secretary of the conservative party. And I told her about what I was thinking and what my plans were. And she asked me a million questions. What would you do about this? What would you do about that? And she was like, you know what? I think you're going to be a great candidate. And we went from there and the campaign just started up and uh, we started rolling. People started taking us seriously after not too long. Let's say you're sitting home that night. The riots kick off. I was actually audio that night. So it's, it's weird that you said that I was audio that night. I was still on. And uh, the first night when they go try to take over the eight, eight and they're burning the fans. I was beside myself. I was like, I was just waiting to get called in the whole time. And, you know, you know, we watched it for almost a week, the city burn and with, and with a stand down order to not, to not, you know, and, and I, I think you'll remember this. I flash back to when I was in the Academy, you guys put us on the street without guns yet. We were, we went out for the RNC, the Republican national convention. Yes. And I always flash back to that. Cause I remember the tactics you guys deployed at that time and, you know, Antifa and all these organizations, I think they were called something different back then, but they said they were going to burn New York city down. They said they were going to come in here and they were going to burn New York city down during the Republican national convention. And we didn't let it happen. 
We took orange nets around any troublemakers, wrapped them in orange nets, locked everybody up, brought them to Pier 76, where they sat for three days. And while we arrest process them, we trickled them out very slowly after they sat for days so that they were tired. They were hungry. They didn't want to go back out on the street. But during that time, right. we were locking people up. Now now we flash back to what's going on in 2020. We're locking people up. We're letting them out in two hours. The real troublemakers, they're coming back out. And guess what they're doing? They're getting locked up twice, three times. You know, we're, we're just taking a bucket of water at the ocean and throwing it back in the water. You know, instead of right. – so, like, there was so much lack of leadership at that time. That I, I, I was beside myself. I was actually at that point, I was contemplating in my head. I was like, what, what can I do? Because I'm nobody. I, 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 didn't even, I didn't even get promoted to lieutenant at that time. I was just a sergeant. I was like a 10-year sergeant. I'm like, what could I do? I, I'm completely powerless. You know, all of these rules, all these laws are coming in. And, you know, where, you know, I watched Bill de Blasio turn every tactic that you guys taught us and everything that I knew worked that we deployed and basically strip us of it, you know, and, right. you know, so that was, that was a, that was a very tough feeling. So I, I, I know exactly where you were that sure. day. And, and uh, I, I did get to go out, uh, but it did calm down. I got to go out in the following days. I was actually assigned out. I was in Manhattan. I was assigned. We would turn out a one PP each night. Um, so I did get to go out, but it was, it was not a, it wasn't a good feeling. It wasn't the feeling I always had prior to that, where I felt like, Hey, you know what? We're going to go out. We're going to do, we're going to, we're going to get this under control, you know, cause we've had incidents like that throughout my whole career. And we were always prior to that under Bloomberg. And even into the beginning of the Blasio, we were still the police. And at that moment That's in right. time, I really didn't feel like we were the police anymore. I felt like we were yeah. like some security guards. Um, so sure. I, I, you know, I'm so sure. I, I, I applaud you getting out there. Um, did, uh, so, so how'd you come into the conservative party? Did did that just happen? Did you try to run on the, on the Republican ticket? Um, did you, did you like try to seek endorsements? Like how, how does that happen? Like I, I'm not, I'm not, I know a lot about politics. I don't know how to run, you know, that's right. why I'm asking, you know, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting process. Uh, you go through the endorsement process where I was a registered Republican. So I spoke before all five counties of the Republican Party and all five counties of the Conservative Party. The Conservative Party came out quick and fully endorsed me. All five counties endorsed me across the board, which was a tremendous honor. I, was, I felt very privileged to be endorsed by all five counties. Uh, the counties for the Republican Party did not endorse me. They uh, were looking at Curtis Lewa. They were looking at Fernando Mateo, who was a bit of an odd choice. Um, and the feedback I was getting was like, Bill, you sound great. We love everything you're saying. But, you know, Curtis has a radio show and he's got a big following. Fernando Mateo can pull a, a, a different demographic. And Republicans were kind of split. So, I had a choice. I could run in the primary and get caught up in what was going to be a circus between Curtis Lewa and Fernando Mateo, or I could take the conservative endorsement and just ride that to the primary. I'm sorry, to the general election in November. And I decided to go that route. And for me, it was an opportunity to say thank you to the conservative party and be their candidate rather than running a primary, which was going to be very difficult for me to win at that point because I really wasn't established. We hadn't gotten out there much. We hadn't raised much money. It would have been very difficult for me to win that. And if I would have won that, 
you know, I would have run as a Republican and not a conservative. So it was a decision to make. It was a difficult decision. But I, I felt that I owed it to the conservative party to be their candidate in November. And Republicans made their choice. You know, they have to live with it. Yeah, no, they, they made that choice. They chose two Democrats to run. Um, you know, exactly. uh, you know, listen, I like Curtis Lewa to a point. I, I give him a lot of respect ever since I was a little kid growing up in Bensonhurst. You know, he's been out on the street. So I give a lot of respect to Curtis Lewa in that shape and form. I don't think that he was the guy to lead a city, though. I really don't. I don't think he was he was strong in his message. I don't think he even had a real clear platform. And he's again, he's not really a Republican. He's just he's just more moderate no, than not. Eric Adams is, you know, and and, you know, yes. you know, the Democrats, yes. they ran Eric Adams as a moderate, which he clearly isn't. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, he's, know he no. ran he ran it, you know, right. Um, what about um the, the cops like you were a cop? What about the PBA? Any of them like did, did, did you reach out to them or did the conservative party reach out to I did. I did. I met with the with the union leaders. Uh, they were all very supportive. Uh, you know, yeah. I have to give them that. They were all very supportive and very complimentary. Um, and they were realistic with me, which I appreciated. They said, Bill, you don't have the Republican line. You don't have the Republican endorsement. So it's going to be difficult for you to raise a lot of money. And it's going to be very, very difficult for you to be the Democrat in the city of New York. So, you know, I, I appreciated their time. I appreciated their honesty. Uh, they treated me well. Um, I don't believe they endorsed anybody in the election. So they kind of stayed out of it. Um, they, you know, they had to say the right things with Adams as he was a projected winner. Um, yeah, of course. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, but, they, but they didn't endorse Curtis Lee, but they didn't endorse the Republican over me. So I felt that was, uh, you know, a nice gesture on their part. Yeah, no, they stayed out of it. And then when but, Adams won, they, they, you know, they, you know, they, they, Everybody wanted the city to do good. Listen, I, I you know, yeah. I wasn't a supporter of Adams. You know, I, I actually did support you. I wasn't a supporter of Adams. But um, I, when he won, I'm like, listen, I want New York City to do good. I don't I don't want course, this guy to fail. I hope everything yeah. that he's saying on the stage he's going to do. I just know his past experience. I don't know his past experience in the NYPD. I heard about it secondhand. But I know his experience in politics and I know the laws he supported and the platforms right. he supported and the candidates he supported. And by all means, it's not a moderate sure. stance, you know. So I wasn't so happy, but I'm like, hey, if this guy, it's, you know, New York's coming off of Bill de Blasio, who was, in my opinion, not only an awful mayor, but an awful person. And he, yeah. you know, and he's, he displayed that to us every day on the news during COVID. The things he would say, the, the, the division he brought into New York City. Um, was just I yes. never heard I never thought I would hear that on the news ever I never thought I, I would yeah. ever see that you know um, especially yeah. in our yeah. city right like you know especially in our city you know because like in New York City it's like it's a huge melting pot like we love each other everybody's yeah, yeah everybody's yeah. all and you know this, his message was so divisive and I was like I never heard this my extremely. whole you know um, extremely extremely you know, and my, my yes. parents were Democrats. I'm, you know, you know, like, you know, my parents grew up in Brooklyn. They, they were working people. They were Democrats. I don't remember hearing that ever from anybody. That, that no, device no, was. absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. So, so, but Eric Adams does win. You know, he gets the vote, you know, which was, you know, the vote, the turnout again was pathetic. You know, we had yes. two, we had two pathetic again. turnouts um, yes. in, the, in, the, in the elections prior to you running. Now we get another low turnout. Um, 
So, how, like, what do you feel about Eric Adams now? How do you feel about the job he's doing, like, that he's currently doing? Well, I agree with you. When he won, I felt the same way. You know, we want him to succeed because we want the city to succeed. This is where we live. This is where we work. Of course, it's, you know, the old adage, don't root against the pilot that's flying your plane. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So, uh, you know, I, I tried to keep an open mind with him, you know, despite his uh, his history. I just haven't seen enough out of him in eight months to to feel good or feel positive about his administration. I mean, this mayor is going to be judged about how he does with the crime problem here in the city of New York. And has anything changed over eight months? I mean, it's not four weeks anymore. It's not three months. It's eight months into his administration. Things have only gotten worse. I mean, it could be just be perception, but we know perception is reality. The city is in a worse spot than it was eight months ago. Nice. And with with Eric Adams, the problem with him is, you know, he wants to be this nightlife mayor and the hip hop mayor and the, the mayor that's out in clubs till 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. And that's all well and good. You know, he's he can do that. But when people are getting thrown in front of subway trains and stabbed and slashed and shot each and every every night in the city and police officers are being attacked and and the city is just crumbling. It's not a good look to be in a club at three o'clock in the morning. You know, it's, it's not a good look to be creating hip hop museums when the city, when people in the city are struggling to put food on the table. So, you know, I don't, I think he's tone deaf in a lot of ways. I think he's oblivious to the real struggles of, uh, of New Yorkers, real working class New Yorkers. I don't think he gets it. Uh, and I'm not sure he ever will at this point in his life, you know, going through the NYPD and then politics. If he doesn't understand the optics of politics by now, he never will. He never will. So, I mean, again, we're eight months into his administration. The city is in, is in worse shape than it was when he took over. Does he have time to turn around? He certainly does. But he's going to have to change uh, his course of action very, very quickly. I agree. You know, he's had, he's had eight months and the whole argument right when he came in is, hey, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he's, he just turned in, give him time, give him time. But I'm like, listen, New York City's r- crime was running rampant in 2020, like after the Bill de Blasio with, with, you know, with the onset of COVID, they shut down basically our justice system. They shut down our police department. They shut down our DA's offices, you know, and they opened our jails. Crime skyrocketed. Quality of life issues skyrocketed homelessness skyrocketed so me in my head i'm like well if i ran the same way you did right like you're a cop i'm already coming in with a plan i'm coming in with something i'm not i'm not gonna figure it out when i win the election i'm already gonna know because you know clearly we have the blueprint you had the blueprint you you worked through the blueprint of what it is and you know he gets elected he comes out with this blueprint you know uh you know after um you know, after basically he starts getting bashed that, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? We're just following all Bill de Blasio's policies. And all he does is rename Bill de Blasio's policies and ask for more funding, yell for the feds to help, you know? And I'm like, hey, this isn't, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is nothing. It's not leadership. It's not not leadership. Um, You know, so if you don't mind, I'd like to just, let's pretend you did win the election. Let's just say that you did win the election. Day one, what would have been your day one if you did win? Like, what would have been your day one? What were the issues you were seeing in New York City that you would have said, all right, I'm, this is what I'm going to do on my day one? 
Okay. During the campaign, I was very, very vocal about what I was going to do on day one. And day one, the first thing I was going to do is get rid of all the vaccine mandates. I was going to get rid of every single COVID vaccine mandate that was put in place by Bill de Blasio. I was going to rehire every city worker that lost their jobs with back pay. And it's funny that when I said that, the backlash was, well, you can't do that as mayor. Well, you know, now we have candidates saying the same thing. I, you know, even cabinet candidate for governor. Uh, Lee Zeldin has come out and said, I will rehire all the workers that lost their jobs due to mandates with back pay. But when I said it originally, there was a lot of backlash. But that would have been step one, because there was absolutely no reason for those mandates to be in place. There was no reason for people to lose their jobs. And there's no reason for those mandates to be in place now and people still losing their jobs. So that would have been day one. Um, Of course, we would have attacked the crime problem head on. We would have brought back the street crime unit, not the half measure street crime unit he did where you have police officers wearing jackets that say NYPD police, but they're supposedly plainclothes officers. Half measures don't work. You're dealing with violent criminals that are on the streets. A lot of them, because as you said, when they let everybody out of Rikers because of the pandemic, you're dealing with a lot of violent, violent people. And you have to be able to go back to the policing measures and tactics that work. They worked during the Mayor Giuliani era. They worked during the Bloomberg era. Go back to street crime. Plainclothes officers, I know this, the stop and frisk is a hot topic and everybody immediately you know, flies off the handle when they hear it. But if you break it down for people and explain to them how important a tool stop and frisk is and how effective it is when done fairly and done the right way by professional police officers, which we have here in New York City, it saves lives in every community, minority communities, every community. It pulls guns off the street. It pulls bad, bad people off the street. And the first thing I would have done was fight to put stop and frisk back in place. Again, we would have put a system in place that would have made it very, very fair. Uh, you and I know that things in the NYPD can get out, of, get out of hand with quotas. And that certainly happened with stop and frisk. Because I'm speaking on, you know, myself, just myself. <laughs> I know for a fact I was told that I had to bring in a certain amount of stop and frisk per month. And that's where the numbers went crazy and got out of hand. And that's why the whole... The whole process got out of hand and, and we lost a very, very valuable tool and we're still paying for it. Yeah. So if that answers your question, day one would have been getting rid of the COVID vaccine mandates, uh, putting back in place the aggressive, proactive policing tactics that worked, that had results and successful results. Uh, the broken windows theory, I'm a big, big uh, proponent of that. It works. We all know it works. We saw it. We did it. It works. The half measures that the mayor has in place right now will not work, but it would have been a very busy day one for me, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It would have been a great day one, and I would have loved to work for you. Uh, you know, unfortunately, now I'm down in Florida, vested with 18 years on due to the vaccine mandate, and I actually jumped off of the street uh, like about three years into de Blasio's reign. Because, you know, I, was, I did anti-crime my whole career, both as a cop and a sergeant. And I know those tactics work. And when he came in, he came in like, you know, beating up stop, question, and frisk. You know, he's like, oh, the worst thing that ever happened to my son was a cop rolled and slowed down by him. I'm like, that's a daily occurrence for me in New York City. And you know what? Good. Because I was afraid of the police when I was a kid. And, and you should be. Like, when you're hanging out in the street or you're hanging out in parks, police, it's a presence. It's an omnipresence, you know. I watched the news not too long ago, and they're talking about that they got, oh, we got, our units are successful. They took 3,500 guns off the street. And to me, I'm like, that's a huge failure. That highlights 
Because we're not we're not making those those encounters anymore. You don't have the plainclothes guys out there anymore jumping out on kids for minor crimes, whether it's stop question and frisk or not. You know, like you don't have that and you don't have that omnipresence. These guns are getting taken off in a, in a non-proactive police department. These are cops just responding to regular routine jobs and they're coming up with that amount of guns. That's scary because that means there's probably quadruple the amount on the street each day, you know. And when de Blasio came in, I was still doing anti-crime and I had a great team in Brooklyn South um, and we were, you know, I told my guys at that time when they started demonizing the stop, question, frisk, I said, hey, listen, no more stop, question, and frisk. I said, we're only going to we're going to only stop someone when we observe them commit a crime. We're going to follow them. And only when they commit a crime, are we going to stop them? And, you know, and, and we still honestly, it, it never even it wasn't even a blip because we were still closing all the patterns for the car break ins, the drugs, the robberies, the burglaries. Because we were still out there doing it. So his next move as mayor is, hey, you know what? Let's uh let's push to get all of these quality of life issues and all of these these uh you know these non these non-major crimes, let's make them legal. And that's when we lost it. And that's when I went inside. Um and I always said I I love I loved policing. I thought it was I and cause and like you, I, I police my neighborhoods that I grew up in. You know, I, I police the neighborhoods I grew up in. I'm like I'm actually doing something, you know, like, and I think I, I, and you know, for all of us, I, you know, when something's going on, we all have this overwhelming sense. We want to do something right. And I, and us as police officers, we actually had that ability to do that. You know, somebody robbed the old lady around the block. Believe me, I went into work three hours early and I did all my research and I drove around even off duty. I would drive around and, and try to piece things together because I felt an overwhelming sense to do that as 99.9% of us do. Um, But, you know, he took that away from me and I was like, you know what? I got offered a job to go inside with a take home car and overtime and not really do police work, just go out on a few details. And I was like, you know what? I, my wife is like, what are you doing? You're never home. You're working six at night to two in the morning. They're, you know, and basically you're getting demonized on TV. They're not, you know, the, the, the Danny Panaleo incident with, with Eric Garner, when Eric Garner has a heart attack and dies, I did that same move a thousand times in my career. I was just fortunate sure. enough that no one had a heart attack when I did it, you right. know, and, and, you know, but I, it was exactly how you guys trained us. He, he takes them down. He handcuffs them. As soon as he handcuffs him, he rolls him to his side to promote free breathing and he calls an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And that was my exact training. That was my exact training. And I remember it to a T. And every time I watched that video, I watched that video a thousand times. And I was like, I couldn't believe the messaging. And I still, to this day, can't believe that kid got fired. Um, I know. That so was, that was a disgrace. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I, you know, so like, so I had a ton of opinions about the mandate and you said you would, you would get rid of it. Um, you know, what was your opinion on it? My opinion on it is, is it's, it violates all of our civil rights. Like that's my opinion on it. Of course, of course. Of course. And I wasn't anti-vaccine. Some people try to paint me. I was anti-mandate. How could you force people to take this shot? And again, you get into the bigger argument. You know, whether or not this, there was enough trial time, trial period for, for these vaccines. There was just so many questions. How can you force people to put this in their body and take their livelihood away if they don't comply? So, yeah, I was against the mandates from day one. I'm still 
not vaccinated because I don't believe in, in that, the way New York City and a lot of places in the country forced it upon us. And the fact that people lost their jobs, lost their livelihoods, police officers, firefighters, teachers, people that own businesses, uh, and the city still hasn't recovered from that. And I don't know if it ever will, really. But uh, I, again, I was against it from day one. I still fight against it. I still have arguments with people about it. But what they did was wrong. And I think every day uh, we saw the CDC come out the other day and say at this point that uh, natural immunity is more effective than the vaccine. Well, you know, that's something we were screaming about two years ago. So what is the truth? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that, that was one of the exemptions. I, I submitted a medical exemption and a religious exemption. My medical exemption was, hey, I got COVID. I have very high antibodies. I submitted my antibody result. Doesn't matter. Take the shot. You know, I asked a million questions to the NYPD. Well, you know, how many antibodies do I get from the shot? Oh, I don't know. How long does it, the <laughs> antibodies last? I don't know. Um, you know, I had all of these questions and I'm like, well, uh, is the antibodies I have right now sufficient? I don't know. I'm like, so why do I have to take this? I'm like, I have it. I'm like, this kid, uh, one of my friends took the, took the two shots of Moderna, gets the antibody test with me and he doesn't have any antibodies. <laughs> And I'm like, and that's what I kind of used, you know, and I'm like, I use that. I use the religious denied, denied. And, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but, you know, I did 18 years. I have hundreds of arrests. I've been involved in thousands. Um, I have no disciplinary history whatsoever, you know, uh, well respected by, you know, my supervisors, my peers, my subordinates. And you lost thousands of guys like me that left yes. the city yes. that left this job people that are really invested you know and i and like the, he just needs to stop it you know um well, but, he does and he, and he can he should but you're right we've lost thousands of cops like you uh and then you look at uh, potential cops people that may want to take this job that aren't going to take it because of the vaccine mandate they're going to go to other police departments yep. where they're going to make more money where they're not going to be vilified in the streets like they are here and they won't be forced to take a vaccination. They won't be forced to get vaccinated. So, you know, it's just hurting us. It's costing us quality people every day. Oh, yeah. Everybody. Teachers, uh, you know, teachers, Everybody. nurses, firemen. And the other thing that nobody talks about is, you know, we have this childhood uh, vaccine mandate looming, right? And I can't right. tell you how many guys I know that are vaccinated and girls. Like I always say guys, but guys and girls I know, they still call me to today and they – they're like, how do you fast? Uh, what what are the what sheriff's departments are around you? Who's hiring that you know about? Because they're worried about now this coming down for their kids. And these are people that are vaccinated. Yeah. They saw what happened to me. They saw what happened to thousands of people. And now they're like, wait, I got to force my kid to take this too? I'm not doing that. You know? So like, if no. we don't pull back, we're going to lose thousands more. Crazy. Yes. Um, you know, yes. I, I, and he I just doesn't wanna... show any signs of pulling back. Yeah. He doesn't show any signs of pulling back. He's... You know, he's dug his heels in and he stands by it. And that's one of the things we warned everyone about. The mandates weren't going to change if he was elected. People didn't listen. Yeah, I know. I, I wish they did. Um, what, one of the things, uh, one of my good friends, uh, he bumped into you at the, uh, there was a big march in uh, downtown New York City. All firemen, all city workers, they were sure. down there. And, you know, he told me at the time, he's like, I ran into Bill Pepitone. He goes, and I'll tell you right now, man, I love that guy. He got my support. He's like, I wasn't going to pull the vote away from Sliwa. He goes, but I got to tell you, he marched with us 
And he just marched with us. He wasn't out there campaigning. He wasn't out there. He just marched with us, you know, and, and, you know, you know, and, and you felt a, a true sense that you care. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. Thank you. Yeah. So like that, you know, so like that's, that was the message with city workers. My problem with city workers is though, they don't vote. We got a big problem with them not getting out to vote. And a lot of them live in Long Island. A lot of them live in Long Island. They live upstate and they can't yeah. vote. And that's yeah. another problem, too. That's another problem, too, because there's a lot of guys that supported you that couldn't vote. You know, and that's a big, big problem. Oh, I know. That's a big I problem, know. I think, in New York City. Um, so, I mean, I, I, and I and I've said it before, the only thing I agree with Eric Adams on is that you should be invested into the city. You know, if you're going to be a cop, like you should, or they should get a vote. I don't know, something, you know, that's basically taxation yeah. without representation. You know, something. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. Um, yes. Uh, we went over your style, like you would bring back the way that we police, the way you trained me to police. Of course. Um and uh, all right, now uh, here's a big problem. And, and this has been going on since this has been going on my whole career, really. We had DAs with 99.9% conviction rates. That was because they never brought anything to trial or they, right. you know, right. I, I would make an arrest and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll dumb it down from a felony to a misdemeanor. They'll play them out to a violation. And now you have these criminals running around the streets of New York. But People did get incarcerated, repeat offenders, people that carry guns, people that were violent, people that robbed. Those people faced consequences the majority of my career. In 2020, during the riots, we saw all of these DA's offices step back, right? They were like, hey, you know, um, you know, hey, what do we, what, you know, we, we can't do anything. It's too dangerous. We're not going to prosecute. And basically, they they were 343 and uh, which is they declining to prosecute all of these arrests for almost a year. They didn't, they didn't prosecute anything for almost a year. Um, you know, so, so we've seen all five boroughs, like, what do you think? I know like th- there's not much you could do as a mayor, but what would you do like in response to that? Well, I think those district attorneys took their lead from city hall. I mean, Mayor de Blasio made it clear he was anti-law enforcement and he was a criminal sympathizer. And the DA's just followed his lead. Uh, There's not much a mayor can do, but I'll tell you what he can do. He can yell and scream from the probably the second most powerful podium in the country, mayor of New York City, behind president of the United States. That's the power that podium has. And he can get up there every single day and he should do it every single day because it's our biggest problem. And tell these district attorneys that if they don't do their jobs, He is going to openly campaign against them and get fine candidates to run against them. And he's going to support them and do everything he can to get them pushed out of office, get them defeated in their next primary or their next election, whatever it may be. Openly do this every single day, embarrass them, publicize some of the cases that they can show. Look, this guy was arrested. We see it every day. This guy was arrested 40 times. This guy was arrested 35 times. Who was the district attorney who refused to prosecute Put their names out in a press conference every single day. Embarrass and humiliate these DAs until they start to do their jobs or else they're going to get voted out. And that, 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 I think, is the most powerful thing a mayor can do because, again, they have the second most powerful uh, podium, a soapbox in the country behind the president. Use it. Absolutely. Genius. That's exactly what he should be doing. 
he should, you know, I, I, I've been saying it, screaming from the mountaintops. I'm like, you should blast these guys every day. Send out every arrest, every arrest, and show what happened. This is a career felon guy. This is a career felony guy. He's been arrested four times with a gun. He got arrested yesterday. They declined to prosecute. This guy, yep. uh, they said they were going to prosecute him. They dropped the case down the road. Or they pleaded him out to nothing. And show it every day and blast him every day. Instead, he just calls on Kathy. He calls on Kathy Hochul, but... At the same time, he you know he he endorses her for governor, right? He's like, oh, I need help right, from exactly. the state. I need help from the state, but right. she's the best. She's the best option. You know, it's not my fault. It's nothing I could do about it. And steps back. Maybe yeah. we'll get the, maybe we'll get the feds to prosecute. You know, and it's like, what? So what do we have borough DA's offices for? You know, the feds can't handle that. He's very, he's, no, he's very quick to point fingers and ask for help and and blame other people. You're the mayor of New York City. You were elected to turn the city around from the some of the darkest days we've ever had. You can't be blaming other people, pointing fingers. It's time to stand up and be a leader. He, he thinks he's a leader. He calls himself a leader. Get out of the nightclubs. Start leading. Get on top of your soapbox. And like you said, name these district attorneys. Put those cases out there. Embarrass them every single day until they get voted out of office. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's genius. I love it. I love it. I do. Um, let's go to, let's move to schools. I think that you already said that you would fix the schools because you already said you're going to lift the mandates. And I think that's a huge, huge problem in New York City public schools now. You know, these kids are still segregated. They can't play sports. They can't attend after school activities. If they're not vaccinated, their parents aren't allowed in. You know, I I, for me, that was a, a totally disheartening time. I'm like, this is I can't even go in my kid's school. I couldn't sit down in a restaurant and eat. And that was my main reason. Once, you know, once I even couldn't be employed in New York City and the NYPD any longer, I'm like, I'm out of here. And everyone in my kid's school at that time was like, oh, we're leaving. You know, my kids were still in public school. I, I went through New York City public school. I believe in New York City public schools. But that I so I think you would alleviate most of the problems right then and there. I think New York City public schools improves 100 percent, you know, right by you lifting the mandates. You know, um, anything else you see with the schools or or anything else like that you would you were campaigning on with that or. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with the schools, but the vaccine mandate is number one. But a couple of points you brought up. Parents aren't allowed in the schools unless they're vaccinated. They can't go to graduations. They can't go to school plays to see their kids. And that's just ludicrous. And it's still in place now. And it's embarrassing that, you know, like you said, one of the first things you do in proof of schools is get rid of the mandates. But as far as academics, New York City public schools have become a factory. They're just pushing kids through. They're not, the grading system has been watered down. Go back to a legitimate grading system. Uh, hold these kids to a higher standard, make them shoot for something, make them reach for something for the ones that are excelling, give them a higher, you know, set the goal higher, set the bar higher for the ones that are struggling, give them more help. You know, I have a a special needs daughter and I know what the public schools in Pennsylvania have done for her. They've done an incredible job. Our special needs classes here, our special needs programs here in the city of New York are light years behind that light years. And, And our kids our special need kids are not getting uh, the attention, not getting the, uh, the the guidance that they need in school every day. Under my administration, I said this many times, we would become the gold standard for special needs programs across the country because these children need, they need routine, they need attention, they need resources. Uh, the other thing, we have such bureaucracy in our school system that most of the money that comes from the budget is going to administrators. We have six or seven different administrators for one position, six or seven for another. 
that money needs to go into the classroom. That needs to go into the children, into the resources, into books, into pencils, whatever it may be. That has to go to the children. We have to get rid of this this bloated education system we have here because it's just dragging everyone down. But I think that grading system is, is, is essential. We have to go back to an, to a legitimate grading system. No more just pushing kids through like it's a conveyor belt in a warehouse because they're not prepared. They get to high school. They're not prepared. They get out of high school. They're not prepared for life. They're not ready for college. They're not ready to go to work. They're not. They're not being prepared at the lowest levels of elementary school. Why? Because it's a factory. It's a conveyor belt, and they just want to push people through so they can say they have a 99.7% graduation rate. Well, what good is that doing? These children aren't able to go out into high school and to advance, and they're not able to go to college or get a job because they weren't taught the proper skills. What good is that 99% graduation rate? It's not doing anybody any good. So the, the public schools, they need a lot of work. They need a lot of leadership. We don't need the mayor's cronies running it. We need effective administrators with, with a history of success in the, uh, in the education field to take over. And, and you have to change the entire culture of our public school system right now. Because right now it's, it's failing and there's, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it because I, that, that's where I learned my sense of responsibility, right? I learned it at home, but right. also in school, right? Because I wouldn't get pushed through. I would fail. My teacher would tell me, you're not going to make it through. John, if you don't come, Ooh, you're, not gonna make, you're not going to make it. You don't come to class, you're not going to make it through. If you don't do this, you're, I'm holding you back. And that sat with me. And I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta focus. I got to do my stuff. And, you know, and that transitioned with me through life. I had that sense of responsibility. It taught me, you know, and as I, you move up, you know, from the first grade, you have less responsibility. But by the time you're in high school, you're kind of independent, you know, and, and that transitioned with me. So I, I agree with you. Put responsibility back on these kids, man. It's, that's great, man. I, I you know, um, Another thing that we're, that we're seeing right now, uh, to me, uh, you know, I keep hearing, you know, I go back and forth with Errol Lewis all the time on Twitter. Uh, we're always arguing about Rikers, right? Um, so, you know, he he's the, his thing is they wanted to move out. They wanted to close Rikers and move it to this five-borough jail system. But what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I was against that from day one. I was very clear about that. Uh, Rikers does not have to be closed. We need to invest in Rikers and make it safer. Uh, Rikers is a mess right now because there is no leadership. Again, uh, I spoke with hundreds of correction officers during the campaign, went to many events with them, and they all had said the same thing. What's going on in Rikers is a crime. They did away with punitive segregation, solitary confinement, which, does, which is a tremendous deterrent. Now there's no deterrent in place, so the inmates can attack correction officers and not have fear of, of nothing. They're not going to be put into solitary. Uh, what's going to happen to them? So they'll take another shot and try and kill a correction officer. Uh, the correction officers were badly outnumbered. Staffing was tremendously low at, at almost a criminal level. Uh, there was no support from the higher ups, many of whom were never correction officers, never walked the halls of Rikers Island. And the disciplinary process in place was an absolute joke. The entire deck was stacked against the officers in favor of the inmates. Uh, you know, you hear <laughs> inmates are running the asylum. Well, the inmates are running Rikers Island. Unless you really bolster the personnel and the staffing there to make sure these officers have backup and keep them safe, you put back in place 
uh, punitive segregation to make sure that there is some kind of accountability. If you attack a correction officer, you're going to be in solitary or punitive segregation for quite some time. I believe there's a time limit on right now. I don't know if it's 30 days or what, but you're going to be in there for the foreseeable future. And you'll see how things change. When they're outnumbered by correction officers, when there's a lot of correction officers there backing up another brother or sister officer who's in trouble, the mindset changes. They're not going to take as many liberties with correction officers. But again, leadership. A lot of the leaders of the correction department back then, I know there's been some changes recently, never walked the halls of Rikers. How could you possibly lead an institution like that if you've never walked those halls and heard those doors locked behind you and you're one-on-one or one-on-five with inmates? Unless you've experienced that, how can you run a disciplinary process against correction officers? It's ridiculous. No, I, I agree. That's what I say. I said, what, what, what are we moving a building? Like, are we going to build new buildings? What is that? How does that, how does that change the leadership? How, how does that change anything? You know, I'm like, if you, if you can't get this square box on their control where you could take my liberties away, you know, you could tell me when to eat, you could tell me when to pee, right. you could tell me when I could go outside, you could take all my liberties away. If you can't control that, you can't stop drugs from coming in and assaults from happening. Who the hell thinks that you can in any way try to, to contain this city and all of these other issues like schools, there's crime, uh, you know, all, all this stuff, health, public health, you know, it's so, I, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's, it's, it's nuts. It really so is. What would, what would the five borough locations or four borough locations, what, what would that have done? That wouldn't have solved the problems. You would have had problems in four different areas instead of one. If they, like yeah. you said, if they can't control one place, one box, how are they going to control four or five? Come on. It was ridiculous. It was a land grab. That's all it was. It was a de Blasio land grab. Absolutely. And and we'll see where Adams goes with it. Yeah, he's uh, he's friends with all of his uh, real estate buddies, too. So I'm oh, sure. Cool. Uh, yeah. So Rikers are a very valuable piece of land for nobody that doesn't it understand always, that. It always comes down to real estate and zoning. Yeah. Follow the money, as they say. Follow the money. Yeah. Follow the money, like uh, like the the horse and buggies, like with the Blasio at his first one. It's really a real estate deal. He didn't give a shit about those horses because even no, now we're seeing horses that are mistreated, abused, out in temperatures they shouldn't be out in, and you know terrible. it's terrible, you know. And so he never cared about the animals. It was that was he wanted that yeah. for his developer buddies that he got caught in bed with. Um, crazy, exactly. exactly. Um, another huge issue. Uh. Thrive New York, right? We get a, a billion dollars. We get about a billion dollars a year. I think it's up to $1.2 billion this year in the budget uh, for homeless services. And then another billion for mental health. Uh, if you were elected, what, what would be your strategy? Because I, I feel the mental health and the homeless are very tied in together. Um, you know, like oh, they're, sure. they're like, you know, like I, 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 all the homeless people I, I ever really dealt with, they, you know, they were mentally ill. Um, and right. sure. So like... So what would your plan be on that? Like, Well, the first thing we would have done is we would have investigated and found out where the Thrive NYC money went. How that money just disappears is totally unaccounted for, and nobody has to answer to that. I mean, if that's not the height of corruption in the city, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's amazing how no one ever followed up on that. Uh, but going past that, uh, as you said, I agree 100%. The homeless issue, the mental Mental, uh, the mental health issue, they all tie together. Uh, we need to be compassionate, but we need to be smart. We need to look at it this way. Every time the government has gotten involved in something, they've pretty much screwed it up. And it's the homeless issue here in the city is no different. They have no answers. 
putting them into hotels in Manhattan, just stuffing them into hotels with no plan, no rhyme, no reason. What did that do? Putting them next to parks, city parks. What did that do? It just made the city less safe. It did nothing to help the people that are homeless, nothing to help them whatsoever. So keeping government out of it is the first step. I would propose, and I did propose, having a plan where the government and successful private organizations teamed up. You take private organizations who have a history of success, who have plans that have succeeded where the government hasn't, make them work together, take the resources that you can from the government, have the private organizations run it because they've done things successfully, and start building more successful um, supportive housing. I'm sorry, supportive housing not stuffing them in hotels. Put them in places where they're safe, number one, where it's clean, number two, where they're not afraid to go to. And if they're with their families, not all homeless people are just homeless men. We have homeless children, homeless families right now. Put them in housing, put them in a shelter where it's safe, where it's clean, and where they can get the resources and the help they need. So many reasons for being homeless. Uh, Drugs, number one. Mental illness, number two. Uh, the lockdowns, how many people lost their businesses, lost their homes, couldn't pay their rent. They found themselves in in terrible positions. Our veterans who deserve all all the support we can possibly give them. uh, There's always a reason why. So you address those reasons. Teach people, you know, teach them a a craft, uh, something, a a job, something to get them moving forward and start feeling good about themselves. Get them back into the workforce. That should be the plan. Get them back on their feet, teach them something, and put them out into the workforce again so they can feel good about themselves and start earning a living and supporting their families instead of saying, all right, I'm in a hotel on West 38th Street today. Tomorrow I'll be in a hotel on West 44th Street. That does nothing. That does absolutely nothing. Teach them a trade. Help them, support them. For the ones that are having problem, problems with drugs and alcohol, give them the resources, the therapy they need to get off. Uh, to get away from those addictions so they can go back into the workforce and be productive citizens again. Our veterans, like I said, give them whatever they need. After all, they've sacrificed for this country. The fact that we have homeless veterans is, is, a, is a disgrace. So I would, again, supportive housing is such a big part of what my homeless plan was. Uh, getting them the resources, getting them the therapy, getting them everything that they need. But the goal has to be to get them back on their feet get them into the workforce so they can have their own apartments and they can have live a very successful and productive life where they feel good about themselves. Now what's going on with Texas and governor Abbott bringing the migrants here. What does mayor Adams do? He puts them in one of the most famous hotels in the history of New York city. You know, he started this war with Texas. He started this fight with the governor. He supported president Biden's open borders policy. He wants New York City to be a sanctuary city. Well, here you go. Now New York City is a sanctuary city. Now we're getting migrants dropped here by other states. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. Mayor Adams brought this on himself. He wants to be the Biden of Brooklyn. He wants this to be a sanctuary city. Now your homeless problem is going to get even worse. And he still has no answers. His only answers is the same as de Blasio's. Put them in a hotel. Solves nothing. It solves nothing. Give him more money. Give me more money. And I'm going to send it to the same not-for-profits that have done nothing for anybody in the city for nine years. And I'm going to pay $500 a night for a $100 a night hotel room. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pay back my, my political donors. That's how, and you know, so yeah, we're just, we're spending billions of dollars in taxpayer money and it's going to nobody. Like, you know, uh, you know, what do we do? What do we do for the drug addicts? We opened up safe injection sites. How is that helping anybody? We're just leaving these people. Help? I don't we're leaving them, you know, we're leaving them drug addicted and homeless. Like, oh yeah, just, but yeah, hey, you got a clean place to shoot up in. Like, oh, thanks. You know, thanks. Um, it's, it's there's really. There's no plan. There's no plan. Yeah, there is not. You're right. You're 100% right. There's no plan right. to get them on their feet and get, get them working again and get them supporting their family and get them into their own apartments where they, there's no plan. It's just shuffle them from here to there. Yeah. And, and listen, I'm not a fortune teller at all, but I would take a lot of money right now and bet on what you just said, that you're going to see a lot more homeless with these migrants coming in. You're going to see a lot oh, more absolutely. crime. I would I would bet a lot of money. I would bet almost everything I have. You know, more homeless, you know, more crime, more drug use. It's, it's a recipe for disaster. And, and his only answer is to argue with the governor and say he's going to get the governor uh, voted out of office. He's, <laughs> he has no chance of doing that. Uh, the governor of Texas made a bold move, and it was a smart move. You want you want to keep your open border policies? You want to support this president and his open border policies? Well, then here you go. It was a good yeah, move. You deal with it. Yeah, no, that's it, right? Like I always say, I always tell everyone they tell we should, all our borders should be open. I'm like, okay, they they, they living in your house. You got an extra bedroom right. in your house. You got that's an extra right. car in your driveway, right? Yeah, you don't need all the money you're making, right? Maybe split it with them then. That, or, or that's not good. So you know. Um, and I got no problem, you know, like, listen, we're immigrants, right? Your family came here, they immigrated here. My family came here, immigrated here. I love immigrants. I love, you know, you know, like I, I always say like, you know, the, the things that we experienced as Italians, I see the, I see like the Mexican population coming through. They came here, they want a better life for their family. They're working hard. And I always say like, you know, that that's, what's great about this country. That's why everybody wants to come here. But if we just right. give away everything and we lose all of that, nobody's going to want to come here. They're going to, everybody's going to want to go back to where they're from, you know, I, and it's, you know, we got to be able to sustain first. So good luck to you, Eric Adams. With that one. Yeah. Good luck. We'll see where this goes. So, I mean, I, we kind of know your opinion on, you know, but we kind of know like you, like same way New York goes. I always say like whatever, where, whichever way New York goes, so goes the rest of the country. Like, and if not even so the world. So, I mean, we're, we're painting a, a pretty bleak picture. Um, but, but that's because of the lack of leadership. You know, I think, you know, you put a guy like you in there in day one, you're going to see immediate change. You'll see change. You know, it's not going to be overnight, but yes, it'll happen. It'll be a very quick turnaround. Um, because of a common sense approach. So what do, you, what do you think the way forward for New York City is now? Like, what would your message be to New York City residents now? My message to New York City residents would be to stop doing the same things they've been doing over the past eight to 10 years. And that's voting party lines, just pulling the lever and not voting for the person who they believe is the best candidate to lead the city. There are a myriad of problems in this city. Just as there are in this country, we keep electing the same people with the same uh, thought process and the same beliefs. We keep electing people who are sympathizers with criminals over people who actually want to defend innocent taxpaying civilians. We keep electing these people and then we're shocked when nothing changes. We just went through eight years of Bill de Blasio and then we elect someone who's could possibly be even worse. And we're having the same problems. And I see all the articles about, well, Eric Adams isn't doing enough on crime. Well, what did you think was going to happen? Well, you know, we have to really open our eyes. People have to get 
more informed. Start reading up on these candidates. Read up on their history. Read up on what they stand for. If they're in office, read up and and you know educate yourself on on some of the bills they voted for and some of the statements they made. It's so important. You know, not everything can be learned through Facebook and not everything can be learned through social media and all the misinformation that goes through there. Really do your research and start paying attention to who the real leaders are, not the politicians, who the real leaders are. Somebody I want to point out is the governor of Florida. I mean, you look at what he did during the during COVID and his leadership and how he did exactly the opposite of New York City and where Florida is as compared to New York City now. He did an incredible job. He's a leader. These are the people that we have to put in office, people that really have the same values we do, people that believe in this country, people that believe in this city, and we'll do nothing, we'll do, we'll stop at nothing to fix what's broken. Not somebody who's just going to point fingers and say it's broken because of this and it's broken because of that, and I can't stop it without her. No, you were elected to fix the problem. Governor DeSantis is fixing the problem in Florida every single day. We do have other elected officials throughout this country who are working to fix problems every single day. But here in New York, we keep electing the same people over and over again. Even on the more local office, in the more local offices, we're electing the same people and wondering why nothing changes. Again, time to educate yourself, find out about these people and get out and vote because sitting back and saying my vote doesn't count has put us in this position and we're never going to get out of it unless people educate themselves and get out and vote. Yeah, no, that, that's the message. My vote doesn't count. That's the New York City lie. And I always say that was the lie that was ingrained in my generation because I heard that so many times. And I'm like, that's bullshit. One, three-fourths of us don't vote. Like, so that tries to, that leads me to believe that three-fourths of us would vote a different way. That leads me to believe that because if everyone's saying that same moniker, right? Oh, my vote doesn't count. My vote doesn't count. You know, I, I agree with you. Oh, like, I, get, I heard that. So... Oh. Real, real quick, real quick. I don't want to keep. I I, real quick. I don't want to keep it all night. But you look around. I'm. I'll say I'm somewhere. You're in. You're in Brooklyn right now. City council elections coming up, or whatever. State senate. You hate both these people, just like you. This person's like, you know what? I think I could do that. I think that I would be better than both of these people. What's the first thing you did to learn how to run? What'd you do? Did you Google? Like, what'd you do? Like, how'd you get knowledge to be able to get yourself on a ticket? You know? I made phone calls to people that were, that belonged to the political parties. Yep. Uh, people that had experience. And I asked them, I said, this is what I want to do. I want to run for mayor. What do I have to do? And after they stopped laughing on the other end of the phone, they said, like, you're serious. I said, yes, I'm serious. And they said, okay, this is the first thing you have to do. You have to file with the Board of Elections. You have to get signatures to get on the ballot. And they broke the entire process down for me. Uh, But the first thing they said was, you better have a thick skin. And I said, I was a cop in New York City for 20 years. I'm sure I'll be fine with that. And, uh, yeah, that's what I did. I reached out to people who were were experienced, who knew what they were talking about, and they gave me uh, uh, exceptional guidance. No, that's that. No, that's good. That's great. I, I appreciate you giving that because you know it's 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 you know it's one of those things that like you know politics is is like a scary thing, right? It's like oh, I can't do that. 
But why can't you do that? You know, like, look, look yeah. you're you would have been a great mayor. I, I I already know New York City would have been on a completely different track. You know, I like you. just everything you said was absolutely brilliant. I, I I really I really have to applaud you for that. Like you you. you you were definitely the guy. I really believe that New York City made a huge mistake. I think the Republicans made Thank a huge mistake not throwing their endorsement on you as well with the Conservative Party to act in conjunction. You know, um, so you know, and and you know, it's it's you know, it's rare. Like you'll come out and you'll talk to us, and you know, these are you just come out. You're you're just saying it like a regular guy. You're not, you know, there's no election right now. You know, we're we're three and a half years. You're not running for anything right now. Uh, I won't even ask you if you're gonna. Uh, but you know, I I, <laughs> I I I won't even ask you because it's it's too far out. I hope that you do, and if you do, I would love to help you in any way that I can. I would help you do anything wherever you want to go, whatever Thank that you. wherever that goes. Um, because you know you're you're uh, you know I like I said I I have the utmost respect for you, even prior to you getting into political Thank office. You, yeah, even prior to your political run, you know, just your time in the academy. You know, you trained a lot of great cops. I worked with a lot of great guys that came out during the time that you trained. So I I, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your service to the city of New York. Um, you know, and I, I always, I, you know, I don't want to keep you all night, but I always like to end like your message to the world, whatever you, or whatever you want to talk about or anything, you know, anything you want to end with. Okay. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, first let me say thank you for your service and thank you for all the kind words. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for everything you did for your city and our, our cops do every day for the city. And thank you for having the courage to stand up for what you believe in against the mandates uh, to uproot your life, change your whole life around for something you believe in that takes courage. So thank you for doing that. God bless. Uh, all I'd like to say is I, I want to thank everybody who really supported me uh, during the election and the campaign. You as well, sir. Uh, I met so many great people. It was a great experience. Uh, we were disappointed with the outcome. We were disappointed with a few things along the way, but we learned a lot. And I think even in defeat, we got a strong message out there. Uh, we put out a blueprint of how New York City can turn around. Uh, we made it clear about the vaccine mandates. We made it clear about crime, about schools, about housing, about homeless. We put out a very clear and concise plan. And even though this particular mayor won't follow it, uh, that plan is out there. And I've heard other politicians, local politicians, uh, parroting some of the things I said during my campaign. So I say to myself, yeah, somebody was listening. People were listening. Uh, we may not have gotten the votes, but we were in people's ear. So uh, the blueprint's out there. The city can turn around. You have the greatest police department in the world with the greatest cops in the world. They're under siege right now. It's a very, very difficult job, more difficult than when I was on. I give them all the credit in the world, but it's still uh, an incredible profession, an admirable profession. And I, you know, I wish them all the luck in the world and Keep them all safe. May God keep them all safe. But uh, the blueprint's out there. It can be done. We can turn the city around. The NYPD turned the city around before with a little bit of leadership and a little bit of guidance. It can be done again with the right person in City Hall. Maybe in three years we'll have the right person in City Hall. We'll see. But uh, it, we've done it. You and I did it. Every cop did it. Every cop that was a part of it did it. We can do it again. Absolutely. I agree. I, uh, Bill, where can we find you? I, I, I interact with you on Twitter. What's what's your Twitter handle or anything we could we could find you at now? Like to keep sure. up updates. Yeah, uh, Twitter uh, at Pepitone for NYC. Uh, I'm on Instagram.
Instagram, uh, Billy Pepitone. There's a Y in there, Billy Pepitone. Facebook, Pepitone for NYC, uh, or Bill Pepitone. You can find me there. Um, I cut back on the uh, social media a little bit after the election, take a little bit of break, but I'm starting to come back in, as you see on Twitter. Uh, throw some thoughts out there here and there, test the waters a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm out there. People can find me. All right. Awesome. And, I, you know, if anything pops up, you want to come back on, we'd love to have you. Oh, anytime. And, and, and I really I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time with us. Honestly, it was very insightful. I know, like, you, you threw it out there, but you're like, you know, the media has such a stronghold on what actually gets to the public. And, you know, now yeah. we're seeing this more with social media and the podcasting to get out the true person. And, you know, most politicians won't sit down with me. And I'm not crazy. I won't ask you anything crazy. I just asked you. You know, I just asked you something normal, right? Like normal. And I don't think anything that you said is, is crazy. Like it's all common sense stuff. It's things that we should, none of us should be afraid to talk about, you know, like you're running right. for office. You're saying, exactly. Hey, I want to, I want to lead the city. So, uh, right. I saw, exactly. so yeah, so I, I really appreciate it. I think everybody's going to love listening to you and I, you know, everybody's going to want to speed up the clock a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> but all right, Bill, have a great night, man. Thank you. Thank you. It was thank my you. pleasure. Thank you for having me on anytime. You know how to yeah. find me. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you, sir. Stay home, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut it down.